Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. Well, it's my dear privilege to introduce our dear friend and guest speaker this morning. Several years ago, uh, I received an email from a pastor in the United States who's part of a network, a pastoral network that I'm a part of. He, at that time, was pastoring a church up in the northeast, up in, uh, I believe, New, the New England area. And there was a young lady from his church that was working in India, and she was sent by his church as a, as a missionary there and was working alongside a pastor and his family, who were missionary pastors sent from their home church in South Africa. And this missionary church planting pastor was going home for furlough, much like the Orliches have been with us, home sent from us uh, to Central Asia. This missionary church planting pastor uh, was returning home for a short furlough in South Africa and was wondering if there were any like-minded, gospel-believing, Bible-preaching young men in the United States that were part of this network that he trusted that might be willing to kind of put their life on pause and come and be an interim pastor for several months for this church that he had recently planted in India. And so I raised my hand via a return email and without even talking to Logan Copley, volunteered him to put his life on pause and to go to India And after uh, I learned that it was a possibility, then I let Logan know that I had volunteered his name. And uh, Logan went to India, and um, that's how we became friends and and ministry partners with the Franks family. Uh, that, That venture went wonderfully, and since that time, the Lord has knit our hearts together. And by the way, if you didn't notice, Logan was here this morning reading the call to worship. He's home. Um, from seminary, and uh, they're doing wonderfully, and they brought a baby with them. So if you ha- haven't had a chance to meet little Lilius Copley, then hang around after and stalk the nursery and uh, see little Lilius. But that went wonderfully, and, it, and it, it initiated a dear friendship between Crosspoint and the Franks family. Since that time, after they returned to India and Logan came home, We have gone to India, sent a team or two, and I have gone to India every year since then, and uh, they've just done wonderful work there. Now, since their ministry, since their time in India, uh, recently came to an end after spending 15 years there, being sent from their church in South Africa, they were in India for 15 years, and just recently, this past year, they have transitioned to the United Arab Emirates, which is in the heart of the Muslim world, where Gareth pastors a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, unashamed church there in Abu Dhabi, one of the largest cultural centers in all of the Middle East. And so they have transitioned with their beautiful family. I think we have a picture of them. I don't know if we put it up there before, but you can see Gareth and his wife Carrie, who's here with us this morning, and their oldest son Ezra, and then their daughter Eden, and their youngest son Gabriel. And they are now there living in Abu Dhabi, ministering to this incredibly strategic church there in the heart of the Muslim world. And over these past few years, they have just become dear, dear friends to us. And it's such a joy for me to, to have Gareth come and preach to, to you and to you to hear his heart. I want to remind you, ladies, that Carrie will be ministering to our women on Tuesday 
for women's lunch this Tuesday, and then tonight at our member meeting. We're going to do a few of the normal things that we do in members meeting. We're going to vote on an elder candidate, Springer Kane. We're going to receive some new members. Uh, but then we're going to give the balance of the time to our member meeting tonight to have Gareth and Carrie tell you more about uh, their life and ministry, both in India for the past 15 years and also now in the United Arab Emirates. And we'll have some time, Lord willing, for some question and answer. So please, please, I, I exhort you, I encourage you to come tonight at 6 o'clock and hear more about their ministry. But now it's just my joy to introduce to you and have my dear, dear brother come and minister God's word to you. Let's give a warm welcome to Gareth Franks. Thanks, Gray. Well, good morning, Cross Points. It's a real blessing to be with you all here on the Lord's Day. It's strange to say that because we, we worship on a Friday, and today happens to be a Sunday, so I'm trying to get my, my bearings right. Um, but it's really um, just, just a blessing to, to worship with the saints, really encouraging um, this morning. As Brad mentioned, we've just transitioned into a ministry there in Abu Dhabi. Actually, just five months we've been there, and uh, we're still learning the ropes, still uh, learning the culture, um, a different culture from India, a different type of ministry. Um, the, the church that I've um, taken over as the, the senior pastor has been just recently planted. So it's a five-year-old church plant, and uh, we meet in a, in a zoo, um, <laughs> literally, not, not figuratively. <laughs> um, and we have, a, we have a function hall where we meet together there, um, and the management has graciously allowed us to meet there for the last um, three, four years, and it's, it's full of expats. Um, we have over uh, 14 different uh, cultures that are represented in, in our church, um, which for me is really exciting. Um, I, the, the whole of the Emirates is, is not a very big uh, place compared to India where we were, um, but they have, they have over 9 million different, um, well, 9 million people, and 87% of the population in um, the United Arab Emirates is expats. They, they're foreigners that, are, that have come there to work and um, to seek employment. So it's, it's a totally different type of um, ministry for us, um, lots of different challenges, but we're thankful for the opportunity. I was telling Brad, um, you know, as a missionary, we, we go, <laughs> we send, and we go to places where, where there where they needs the gospel to be preached and to make disciples of, of our Savior in different places. So we, we go to the people, but in Abu Dhabi, it, uh, the, the UAE, it's, it's different. People are coming to us. People from all over the world are coming to the United Arab Emirates, and it's in the heart of the, the, Muslim, the Muslim world, and it's, it's such an opportunity, it's such a privilege to be there to see um, what the Lord is doing there in, in the middle of this, this Arab nation. Um, so we're thankful for the opportunities that the Lord has given to us, and I'll definitely be sharing more, to you, um, more about the ministry with you um, tonight. We have a, a slideshow, a video presentation, which we will show as well. But today I want to share a message from Revelation chapter 3. In fact, I've been preaching a series through this, um, through, through this passage with the church there in Abu Dhabi. And we did a series on the seven churches um, right here in Revelation chapter 3. Um, in Revelation chapter 1, 
the resurrected and glorified Christ reveals himself to the Apostle John and tells him to write letters to seven churches in Asia. These are literal local churches in, in Asia Minor. Um, and the first church is Ephesus. Um, I think we have a slide at the back there showing you the postal route where the, this letter was brought to the different churches. And the first church is Ephesus, which was the, the loveless church. Uh, the second is Smyrna. They were the, the suffering church. And they rejoiced because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. And then there's the Pergamum church, which was the, the incomplete church. They were committed to truth, but they were tolerant of, of sin. And then there was Thyatira, the corrupt church. Uh, they tolerated false teaching. There was Sardis, the church of the living dead, and they needed to wake up. The Lord told them to wake up and to be spiritually reformed. And then there was Philadelphia, the faithful church. Uh, they had a tremendous impact on the culture of, of the day. And today we examine the, the seventh of those letters to the church in Laodicea, which I have um, called the useless church. So let's read Christ's message to the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, from verse 14 to verse 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Let's pray before we go into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have recorded your Word for us to be able to learn. We know it is profitable for instruction and training in righteousness. But we know, Lord, that this is applicable for us today, even though it was written for these churches. And we pray, Lord, that this morning we would have ears to hear, that we would be willing to hear what the Spirit has to say. Father, that we would not be making excuses this morning or looking to our neighbors on the right or the left or thinking of, of other people, but we would be willing to receive this admonition from the Lord. And Father, we do want to glorify you this morning as already has been prayed. That's why we're here together. We're here to honor you, Lord. So we pray that you would increase and, and we would decrease, Lord. We pray, Father, that we would be willing to humble ourselves this morning and to receive this admonition from your word. I pray that you would grant repentance this morning to those who need to repent. 
Lord, that you would comfort those this morning that they need to be comforted. And that you would show us and teach us, Lord, how to be a faithful church that is not, that is not useless. That we would be found honoring you, not wasting our lives, not wasting the opportunities, Lord, that you give to us. So please, Lord, we pray, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts this morning to the, to the word that you have for us. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Last year, I completed a research paper for a course of studies that I did at the Union Biblical Seminary in, in India. And from the survey that I conducted, 72% of the participants said that a person needs to be baptized in order to go to heaven. In a similar question, 72% said that a sinner is justified through faith in Jesus Christ plus good works. And if this research done in Kolhapur and, and Nasik, the cities where I ministered in India, is a micro-reflection of Indian Christianity, then it's safe to say that most churches in India do not know the gospel and do not teach the, the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you may know the name George Bonner. He makes a living doing similar surveys. And what makes him unique is his surveys are exclusively on Christian topics. And he recently did a poll on the present state of the church in the U.S. And 90% of the American participants claimed to be Christian. But he then did another poll and he asked certain Christian concepts. And here are some of the results. He asked Christians what Jesus' great commission was from Matthew 28, verse 19 and, and 20. 86% responded with the wrong answer, or they did not know. He then asked what John 3.16 said, and 75% did not know. He then asked what the gospel was, and 31% did not know, or gave the wrong answer. And I don't think the state of Christianity in the U.S. is very much different from many other churches in other parts of the world. And sadly, the Laodicean church was, was one of them. And this morning, we're going to study this church in Laodicea. And my first point this morning is the address. And we see this address in verse 14, the first part of verse 14. Laodicea was renowned for its prosperity. And the local inhabitants of this proud city were, were bankers, mercantile bankers. It was situated in a fertile valley at the junction of several important trade routes, and it became considerably wealthy. Um, there was an earthquake in AD 60 that devastated most of the region, but the Laodicean people did not get any grant or any subsidy from the, the Roman government because they didn't need it. They had enough money. And they were proud. They were self-sufficient. They had much to boast about especially uh, the famous medical school that was, was started there and was connected to one of their Greek temples. Um, and the physicians came from all over the world and they prepared special medicine there um, for different eye disorders, especially pink eye. They were famous for all over the world for this ointment. The city was also well known for the manufacture of cloth, for garments, textiles, and carpets. 
um, and valuable wool from the local sheep of that area, very opulent, a very glossy black wool. But the people of Laodicea were, were prosperous. They were, they were comfortable, and which, of course, negatively affected the, the church of the day. And from the context of this letter, it is apparent that this is one of the major causes of her spiritual bankruptcy. This local church had become self-assured. It had become self-sufficient. It had become self-satisfied. And as we will see, the result that she became largely irrelevant. She became largely irrelevant to the cause of Christ. The believers were no longer able to affect the society. The society had affected them negatively. Rather than them honoring God and glorifying God, they had been conquered by the society around them. And the local church in Laodicea was in sore need of reformation. But yet in her self-righteousness, she did not even realize it herself. And she cared for none of it. But my second point we see is the, the description in the second part of verse 14. And the Lord described himself to the church in three ways here in this description. He says, I'm the Amen. I'm the faithful and true witness. And thirdly, I'm the, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, firstly, he describes himself as the Amen. And the basic meaning of the word Amen is, so be it. And when we say Amen at the end of a prayer, we're simply affirming the words that, that have been spoken. May these things be so. We agree with this. But Amen is, is a far stronger word than we sometimes realize. And as used in Scripture, the word often carries the idea of an oath. The idea of an oath. And that's important for, for what follows. We see that the Lord identified him, secondly, as the faithful and the true witness. And that is, he is the one on whose word we may eternally depend upon. For he always keeps his word. His word is his unchangeable oath. And here he assures the Laodiceans that, that he is bearing faithful and a true testimony concerning them. Concerning them. And the Lord intentionally describes himself as the, the faithful and, and true witness because, as we will see later, he wanted them to be faithful and true. Faithful and true witnesses of the gospel which they were not being. And thirdly, the Lord identified himself as the beginning of the creation of God. We read this morning from Colossians 1 verse 15. And this verse does not mean that God created Jesus as the Jehovah's Witnesses like to, like to think. This is not what the, 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 the passage is talking about. Colossians 1.15 clearly tells us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who became man and dwelt among us. And Christ is the origin and He is the ruler of all. And through Him, our world was created. The universe was created. But the introduction to the Laodiceans is packed with terms that speak of Christ's um, tremendous authority. That's, that's really what the Lord is trying to establish here before He begins His um, condemnation. And this is important in light of the, the ethos of this, of this particular church. They claimed to be rich, they claimed to be wealthy, and they said they had need of nothing in verse 17. But perhaps they, they were thinking, 
You know, who is going to address and criticize us? And so the Lord says to them, I am. I am. I am the one with all authority. Listen to what I have to say. The third point, we see the complaint. The Lord delivers his complaint in verse 15 to, to 17. And it is all too easy to, to fool ourselves. You know, as churches, we can easily deceive ourselves into thinking that, that we are spiritually healthy when in fact we are in need of help. We are in need of assistance. We, we need to be corrected. And we would rather not hear that. But the church of Laodicea was self-deceived about her spiritual health. But the Lord would not leave her in her self-deception. Instead, He revealed His divine assessment of her, of her true condition. Christ said in verse 15, look there, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. You know, some commentators have said that you know, hot people are those who are spiritually alive and possess the, the fervency of a transformed life. And they say that the, the spiritual cold, on the other hand, are best understood as those who, who reject Jesus Christ. And the lukewarm people are described um, in verse 16 as, as not genuinely saved or one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But however, I don't think that is the correct interpretation of this, this passage. And the reason I say that is because of verse 15, the second part. And Christ says, would that you were either hot or cold. So he wants them to be hot or he wants them to be cold. And Christ is indicating here that, that both are good, both are acceptable for him. And here's where the geography of the Laodiceans helps us to understand what Christ intended for the original audience to know. Laodicea was located between Hierapolis and Colossae. Hierapolis was to the north and Colossae was, was to the east. And Hierapolis was renowned for its steaming hot springs, while Colossae was famed for its icy cold mountain streams. And both the hot water springs of Hierapolis and the cold streams of Colossae were, were beneficial to those living in the, in the region. And unfortunately, Laodicea never had a water source of her own. So those, their plan was to bring this water in from these different cities. They wanted the hot water for those who had aching bones and ligaments so that they could use that water to soak in for relief. And then they wanted the cold water of Colossae for the refreshment purposes. Cold water was welcomed by any um, thirsty traveler. Brad told me yesterday that Columbus was the place where Coca-Cola was invented. Um, I love cold Coca-Cola. Um, I don't like lukewarm Coca-Cola. I'm not sure if anybody does, but you can understand the analogy. Cold water was, was very welcomed. But situated between the, this hot spring and, and the, the cold stream was, was Laodicea. And in an attempt to, to gather the usefulness of both of these springs, they, they built aqueducts, these, these channels that would bring in the water into Laodicea. Um, however, they soon learned that their efforts were, were wasted. Their efforts were, were futile. By the time the water reached Laodicea, it was no longer hot, 
but it was lukewarm. The cold water was no longer cold, but it was, was lukewarm. It was good for nothing. It was good for nothing. And the people understood this. The people understood what the Lord was trying to, to tell them here. These waters, which had potential for good, were now deemed useless, wasted. And that is why Christ said, Would that you were either cold or hot. And the church members were neither. They were neither hot and they were neither cold. And the Lord saw this church as useless and he threatened to, to vomit this church, to spit this church out from his mouth. A Greek scholar, G.K. Beale, he explains a problem with the church in Laodicea. He says, the particular work which is viewed as ineffective is that of their efforts to be a witness. The unbelievers of the city were receiving neither spiritual healing nor life because the church was not actively fulfilling its role of witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a church that stops preaching the gospel to itself will obviously in no way want to be a witness of the gospel to the world around them, to the community around them, let alone the, the rest of the world. They were self-assured, they were self-satisfied, which left no room for the gospel. And Christ continued his complaint of the church in Laodicea in verse 17, look there. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. What a terrible indictment. What a terrible indictment. Not realizing that you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. So despite their spiritual uselessness, the Laodiceans boasted. They boasted that they were rich. They, they boasted that they were wealthy. And they boasted that they had need of, of nothing. The church members were, were comfortable. They'd conform completely to the culture around them. And Christ's words should make us examine our, ourselves this morning. Now, do we say, I am rich? Do we say, I have prospered? Do we say, I have need of nothing? Maybe we don't say, verbally say that, but do we say that in our hearts? Do we say that in our hearts when the word is preached to us week after week? If you do, then we need to hear what Christ's words are to us this morning. We need to hear that we are pitiable, that we are poor. We need to hear that we are blind. Even though we don't like to hear it, we need to hear what the Lord has to say. Look at my fourth point this morning, the warning in verse 16. The Lord warns them. And of course, his desire for this congregation is that they would be useful. He didn't want them to be in this, in this carnal state. He had no desire for them to be useless. But sadly, they were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm, as we, as we see here. In spite of the, the great promise that the city had, they had all the resources that were at their disposal. And yet they were, they were useless. The church offered nothing by, by way of spiritual benefit to the community, to the neighbors, and to the world around them. In the words of Rudwick and Green, hot water heals, cold water refreshes, 
but lukewarm water is useless for either purpose and can serve only as an emetic to make you vomit. Because of this, the Lord threatened to vomit them out of his mouth. John MacArthur, he says, Some churches make the Lord weep, others make him angry, but the Laodicean church made him sick. Furthermore, we see in the passage, the Laodiceans were blind. They were blind. The city was well known for the production of this eye ointment, this eye salve, which was made in their city by the medical school that was there from a certain powder which they mined in that particular region. But yet the Lord denounced them as blind, and He counseled them to anoint their eyes with the, with the salve that only He could give to them. And in addition, despite the fact that the city was well known for its textile production, especially of this black woolen um, product, the Lord reveals that they were naked. They were naked. Now, to the casual observer, the city certainly did not seem to be wretched. The city didn't seem to be poor. The city didn't seem to be naked at all. But when the Lord looked at the church in this city, this was precisely the condition that the Lord pointed out. In worldly terms, the, the city was doubtless one of the most prosperous and beneficial cities in the whole region, to the whole economy. But the church was useless to the kingdom of God. And the Lord declared it to be absolutely useless, a stinging indictment. So in summary, this local church was, was living a lie. They were living a lie. She was self-sufficient. She was self-righteous. And therefore, she became self-deceived. She professed Christianity, but yet she was untouched by, by, the, by its fire. She was untouched, and, and she was barren in her, in her works. Her light was buried beneath a bushel, a bushel of self-righteousness. And Christ therefore denounced her as being useless in the society around her. In fact, she was no different. In a word, she was irrelevant. She was irrelevant. And this brings us to an important applicatory question. Now, what impact is your professed Christianity having in your society? Again, if you were removed from your home, if the Lord thought it fitting to remove you from your family today, you know, what spiritual and moral influence would be lacking. If God were to take Crosspoint out of this city, what would the community suffer? Would the community notice that Crosspoint is not here? And the power of the local church for good in a community is determined not by her becoming like the culture, but rather in her being different from the self-righteous, self-sufficient world that is around us. And all too often, you know, local churches fail in the same way as this church did here in, in Laodicea. And if we are not careful, now our local churches 
our local church will embrace this, this sinful ethos of the self-sufficiency that is so prevalent in our society today, so prevalent in our culture today. And this happens when, when the gospel becomes something which is just an extra, when the gospel is not something which we love, which is not something which we cherish any longer. And we, in effect, become disobedient. We become disobedient. And as believers in the local church submit to Christ, as they increasingly submit to His will, they become more dependent upon Him. They should become more dependent upon Him, not independent. This gospel water that the Lord gives us, He wants it to flow. He wants it to be living. He doesn't want it to be stagnant as a, as a cesspool that, that just gathers all type of, of infectious diseases. He wants it to flow. He wants us to be conduits of this living water. And God intends for His people to offer this cold cup of, of water to the spiritual thirsty that are around us in our community. He wants us to do this. He wants us to go and make disciples. He wants us to be competent. He wants us to be equipped so we can minister this spiritual healing to those that are in need around us. And we need to make every effort toward, become, toward becoming either hot or cold to be useful. We need to be intentional about this. Look at my fifth point this morning, the command in verse 18 to verse 20. The words that follow would have been greatly encouraging to the believers in Laodicea. And there were some, remember, this is written to a church. So there were believers here. In verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The Lord was rebuking them, not because He hated them, but because He loved them. And that's what church discipline is about, isn't it? It's about restoration. It's not about revenge. The Lord wanted to restore them. He loved them far too much to just leave them in their sinful state. And three features here which we see about the Laodiceans, which they were well known for, was their wealth, their garments, and their, their eye salve. But Christ offered them an alternative, spiritual gold, Garments that he could only give to them and spiritual sight. And notice how he offered it to them in, in verse 18. First, he, he counseled them to have their walk transformed. He says, gold refined in the fire. Of course, this is a, a reference to purifying trials. Purifying trials. And Peter made this clear in, in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. That the, sorry, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I remember as a youngster going to listen to Richard Wurmbrandt uh, speak at our church in South Africa. Uh, Richard Wurmbrandt was a pastor who was imprisoned in Romania for 14 years because of his public stand for Christ and against communism. But during his captivity, he was tortured by the communist regime of Romania for his Christian beliefs. And after his release from prison, um, he and, and his wife, Sabrina, 
They both dedicated the rest of their lives to publicizing and helping Christians who were being persecuted all over the world. He wrote more than 18 books, and the most famous one is Tortured for Christ. They also started an international organization, Voice of the Martyrs, which still continues today with that same ministry. But I remember listening to him pray. I remember listening to him pray, and that's really what, what, what just touched me the most. I remember the church in Romania and the surrounding countries were undergoing severe persecution by, this communist, by the communist governments. But in his prayer, he wasn't praying for those churches. He was praying for the churches in the West. He was praying for the churches in the West. And this pastor, he understood by experience that financial prosperity was one of the greatest temptations for the Western church. And he knew that persecution tries and purifies the church. And he was praying for this purification of the, the Western church. He was praying that the church in the West would no longer be comfortable comfortable. Perhaps that's where we find ourselves this morning. Perhaps it's where you find yourself this morning. Comfortable, self-sufficient, self-reliant. But if the Laodiceans truly wanted to be useful, they had to be willing to go through this fire, this purifying fire. Laodicea was affluent, they were rich, but they needed to go through these trials. For the glory of the Lord. And we know obedience is costly. You just sent your missionaries out again this, this morning. And there were tears. There was hurt. I understand that. There is a cost involved. There is a cost involved. If we're not willing to pay that price, and we're not willing to be refined by this fire, then we will end up being useless just like the Laodicean church. You know, the Lord did not tell us to be a light on a hill so that we can go shine our light in each other's eyes on a, on a Sunday morning. That's not the purpose. The Lord told us to go and make disciples everywhere. He told us to be intentional about sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with those in our communities, sharing the gospel with those that are lost in the darkness. When lost... You share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we too comfortable in our closed, gated communities? Are we being useful or are we being useless to the kingdom of God? Are we looking for excuses or are we looking for opportunities to share Christ? Are we being intentional or are we being irrelevant? Now, I do not mean that we should go ahead and pick fights in the community. That's not what I'm saying. But we should be willing to count the cost and stand for the truth, no matter what the outcome is. Now, I'm afraid that too many of us in the church are preoccupied with deliverance. We think that's why the church exists. That's why Christ came to this earth, to deliver us from our discomfort. Our concern is about comfort. Our concern is, is not for the cross. 
God wants our lives fulfilled. I, I know that. The scriptures tell us that. But just as he wanted the lives of those in the, the early church to be filled, they too were persecuted. They were eaten by lions. They were burnt at the stake. Their lives were fulfilled, folks. How do you define comfort this morning? Fullness of joy and trials often go hand in hand. Secondly, Christ counseled them to buy from him white garments. They had this black woolen garment set that they would make. But Christ, the Lord said, buy from me white garments. Let me clothe you. Let me clothe you from the, the shame of your nakedness so that the world won't see your shame. And Christ offered them these garments which symbolized his righteousness that would cover the shame of their sin, the shame of their lethargy, the, the, the shame of their disobedience. Whenever churches and members become self-righteous like the, the Laodiceans, they, they cease to be useful in the, in the community around them. But looking to Christ alone as a source of our, our righteousness, we, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross. We have to be willing to make ourselves vulnerable to the Lord's admonition. And thirdly, the Lord counseled them to buy from Him. Buy from Him. This, this salve, this ointment for, for their eyes so that they could see. And the later Sians had, had a salve that was effective for, for healing people's eyes. But they were spiritually blind. They were spiritually blind. And they needed to have their worldview transformed. They were so narrow-minded. All they thought about was themselves. They couldn't care less for the lost and the suffering around them. They needed to have their eyesight changed. Healed. They lacked a God-centered, eternal perspective. And as believers, we need to be delivered from worldliness. We don't need to be part of the worldliness. And the Lord challenges this church in verse 19. He says, be zealous. Be zealous. And he says, repent. They weren't called upon just to be thinking about whether or not they, they were to obey. They were commanded to obey. They were being commanded and to do it immediately, not to think about it if, it, if it. if it's beneficial to them, they were to repent. Christ had already called upon two other churches here in Revelation. He called upon the Ephesus church. He called upon the, the Sardis church to repent. But the situation in, in Laodicea was, was far worse, was the worst of all these seven churches. Christ said, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth if you do not respond to me in repentance. Christ said in verse 19 that he loved them. And it's because of his love for them that he would reprove, that he would discipline them. So be encouraged. The Lord loves his bride. He loves his bride too much to remain silent when she needs to be corrected. He does not refuse to rebuke her. He loves her, and therefore he, he confronts her. In Revelation 3 verse 20 may be one of the most precious verses in the Bible. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, this is often used as an evangelistic verse. Um, I've, I've used it before in the wrong context. 
I've heard preachers say something like this. You know, Jesus is standing at the, at the sinner's heart's door knocking to come in. You know, he's waiting for the, for the sinner to open his heart and to, to let him in. But of course, the problem with that interpretation is that this, that text comes from this passage right here. The context is wrong. It misses the entire point of the passage. And the context is the, the Lord speaking to a local church. The Lord's not speaking to unbelievers here. He's speaking to a local church. He's standing where? Outside the door of the local church. The church that he purchased with his own blood. And here the Savior is not inside where he should be ruling and reigning. He is outside, knocking patiently. Here's a picture of grace right here. This church deserved judgment. Here the Lord is patiently knocking. The very one who owns the house is knocking to be led inside. Now, someone has described the scene as a, as a wealthy man who has taken pity on a poor beggar, and um, he welcomes this beggar into his home. And the man feeds this beggar, he clothes this beggar, and he lets him stay with him, and he goes out to work. But upon returning, he finds the door locked, and the beggar will not allow him to come back inside. The beggar's too busy enjoying the, the resources in this home, the food and everything else. And this is exactly like the, the behavior of these Laodicean believers. The one who has graciously created the household was, was being rejected. But without the owner of the house coming in, that poor beggar is going to starve to death. He's going to starve to death unless he opens that door. And the Lord promises if the church would open the door, he would come in and he would commune with them. And he would eat with them. There would be this intimate fellowship. It's not that the Lord is impotent to come in without our invitation. That's not what this passage is teaching us. And he promised the Laodicean church that he would act in judgment if they would not repent. This is an act of mercy here, folks. He wants us willingly to respond. He wants us willingly to respond so that he can enjoy this fellowship with us. And when we lock Christ out of our lives, when we lock him out of our homes, when we lock him out of our, our churches by refusing his authority, then we commit all types of tragic sins with terrible consequences. But when we open our hearts to him, we, we experience joy untold. And the church that is faithful to the Lord will, will experience trials. We're not exempt from suffering. But the promise of Christ is that he will, he will bless her. He will bless her with her, with her intimate fellowship. Our sixth point this morning, the promise in verse 21. Christ says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. It's a difficult passage to understand, so I'm quoting John McCarthy here. He says, To enjoy fellowship with Christ in the kingdom and throughout eternity is sufficient blessing beyond all comprehension. But Christ offers more promising 
to seat believers on the throne he shares with the Father. I mean, we're going to rule with Christ, folks. We're going to rule with Christ, those who are faithfully obeying him. This is a blessing to all. This is a blessing to all who are going to overcome the, the tepid, lukewarm carnality that this temporary world is trying to shove down our throats. And lastly, look at the appeal in verse 22. My last point this morning, the appeal. For the seventh and the final time in these, these letters, the Lord's command to His church, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The tense used in this verse gives the sense that the Lord is continuing to, to speak and that we must continue to listen. This is not a once-off. The Lord spoke to each of these churches and he, and he urged them to obey. And he exhorts us today to do the same. He exhorts us to listen to what he continues to say to his churches. You know, the Laodicean church made their creator sick. And what was worse is that they were unable to, to discern why. They were so self-righteous that they were not willing even to to see the problem. They had these blinders on. And they did not want to be bothered by the truth. They become lukewarm to Him and to His Word. They lack care and concern for the gospel. They had the power to save souls. They couldn't care about that anymore. And they deceived themselves. And they deceived others into thinking that the measuring rod to see if they were spiritual lied in how much money was in their bank accounts. They'd become a church that was self-indulgent, a church that was self-centered, and believed this is what Jesus wanted from them. They had no commitment to Christ. They had no love for the Great Commission. They had no love for the lost, or they had no desire to win the lost. The commitment was how much money they could make. That's what they were interested in. That was the goal of their Christianity. Now, I recently visited a, a young man in Abu Dhabi who had a stroke. Um, he was recovering from a stroke in hospital. He had been there for five months. But his father was telling me that the fee for the, the hospital uh, where he was being rehabilitated was 66,000 dirhams per month. This is the rehabilitation. And the fee for the ICU where um, he had since recovered from where he had been for the last four months, four months was 700,000 dirhams. And this man, this father, he was selling his, his boat, which he had bought since coming to the, the UAE. He was selling his cars. He was selling his jet skis. He was selling all these other valuable goods that the, the family had purchased and procured since they had come to, to the UAE. And we all love our children, right? And we would all do the same thing for them if we needed to, right? But as I left the hospital with one of the other elders in our church, he made a good point. He said, you know, all these sacrifices that this father is willing to make for his son are at the end of the day temporary. And that made me thinking, now, what are we ready to give up for that which is permanent? 
What are we willing to give up for that which is permanent? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom. I'm reminded of the parable Jesus taught in Matthew 13. The treasure hidden in the field is available to all who, who sell everything. And that's how it is with true disciples. We need to count the cost. We need to count the cost. Let me conclude this morning with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He talks about costly grace in his book. He was a German pastor who lived during World War II, who stood for the truth, who stood for the gospel, and, and he counted the cost, and he was executed by the Nazis because of it. So these words have much credibility this morning. Listen to his words. He says, grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Jesus is worthy, folks. Jesus is worthy of total allegiance and obedience simply because he has paid the highest possible price. He has ransomed, he has purchased his children with his own blood. There is no higher calling and there is no higher priority than to serve our Redeemer God. We have one life to live. Let's not waste it on things that don't matter to God. But let's spend it for our Savior's fame. Let me close with that challenge this morning. The same question that I gave you earlier on. What impact is your professed Christianity having in your home? What impact is your professed Christianity having in your workplace? What impact is your professed Christianity having in your school? What impact is your professed Christianity having in your church, in your community? And if you were removed from your home, if you were removed from your family, if you were removed from your community, what moral influence would be lacking? And only you can answer that this morning. Only you can answer that this morning. What is the Lord saying to you? You know, Matthew 16, verse 18, we, we always quote as a wonderful promise. The Lord will build His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But let me show you quickly Revelation 2. What the Lord says to the church in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Matthew 16, 18 is a promise to the universal church. There's no promise for a particular local church that the Lord will not remove your lampstand. He will take it and give it to some other person, other place, where they are being faithful with the gospel. 
There's no guarantee that Crosspoint will be here forever and ever if they are not faithful with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we living our lives for the, the glory of our Savior or are we living the lives for the glory of, of ourselves? Jesus is worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy of our service. Let's not waste it on things that, that don't matter to God. Father, we come to you this morning thankful, Lord, that you do not leave us in the dark, Lord, and that you do not leave us to, to stumble through this world with our own understanding. But we thank you that we have your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for the word that you gave us this morning. And I do pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. You would convict those that need to be convicted this morning. And that we would be a people that are intentional about our Christian life. That we would be not a people that are irrelevant, but a people that you can use for your glory. A people that would be faithfully making disciples of Jesus Christ. I do thank you, Lord, for Crosspoint Church. I thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness, Lord. But as we've seen, Lord, church must be continually intentional about their love for you, their faithfulness, Lord, and their dependence upon you. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to keep Crosspoint, Lord, faithful. Pray, Lord, that they would be a church that is effective and powerful, Lord, in the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that people would know their members as, as born again and when they need help, Lord, they would come to them. They would see Christ. They would see the hope that, that we have. That people would turn to faith in Christ because of the testimony of Crosspoint Church. We do love you, Father. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the new life that we enjoy because of your son's death on the cross for us. Lord, may we be faithful with this blessing. May we be faithful stewards, Lord, of the gospel, Lord, which you have given to us. Never wasting any opportunities, Lord, but being faithful for the sake of your great name. And we ask this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.